0: Welcome to um, the Metabytes podcast, but today we're, what were we going to call it? The, what was it? The, be- the beer, <laughs> beer burger, burgers and bacteria.
1: And babble. And
0: babble. <laughs> and babble. <laughs> still, we still don't know if babble is an actual word, but um, if, uh, if anybody has heard that, but it could be a Scottish, British well, type thing. We
1: will, we'll claim it to be Scottish. Or maybe from, maybe going, from Aberdeen. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm sure after a couple of beers, everybody babbles.
0: Do you want to get a bit closer to yeah. the mic? We want to hear you, Gary. Well, this is it. Can you are uh, you ex TEDx speaker, um There you go. Just I Justine <laughs> interviewed person. Um, welcome to the podcast, Gary. Thank you, this is sort Michael. of like an imp- Thank you. kind of impromptu kind of catch up mm-hmm. towards the end of um Quarantine, it's locked up. It, it's nice to get out of the house, isn't it? That's
1: exactly it. We've all been locked up for too long now. Has that's been. probably why we're coming up with words like babble. Babble,
0: yeah. Yeah, that was made up in the last six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Cass, who are you?
1: Okay. Uh, Gary Cass. Uh, <laughs> that's a hard question, though, isn't it? I start with um, the right, hard so questions here. I-, <laughs> yeah. I don't actually think I've been asked that question before. However... Uh, shall, uh, let me go through a bit of who I am and where I've come from, and what I'm doing, and where I'm going. I suppose um, it would go back to born in Scotland, like yourself, Michael. Uh, I think I'm more of a a country, uh, what we would call chukkers, I think, in Scotland.
0: We'll uh, cue we'll cue some like Highland music playing yeah. in the background for this part.
1: <laughs> I think you're more of the lowlander. Yeah,
0: like <laughs> you're not chukker from up the north, yeah just a farmer from up the north. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so
1: um yeah born raised there till I was 10 moved to Perth, uh educated here in Perth, loved Perth, grew up in Perth, thought and still do think that Perth is the greatest city in the in the world to uh to to be young, especially And the,
0: during a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, it's true.
1: Um just the fact of the, the weather, the beaches, the, the 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 rivers, uh it's it's a fabulous. There's a place. vibrant
0: a, f- a vibrancy as well, isn't there? There's sort of
1: Look, it certainly is, yeah, definitely. It's definitely got better, is not it? Uh, since <laughs> It's w- maturing. Th- yeah, 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 from the 80s. Uh, there's certainly uh, more of a, a nightlife scene here, I suppose. There, I mean, there always has been, but I think it's become more uh, cosmopolitan now. Um, still have a family. So married, uh, two kids. Loved, again, I loved growing up here and I loved having a family here as well because the, uh, there's so much to do in Perth. Uh, in that family with the parks and, and the outdoor stuff that we were limited to of course for the last six or seven weeks. Um, <laughs> yeah. Then uh, university here did a horticulture degree majored in viticulture always claimed to be pretty good at growing grapes <laughs> but really bad at making wine actually horrendous at making why not? I just didn't get it. It would have been it. better the other way around, yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I went into it. Actually, I went into viticulture. I thought it would be a great uh, career because I thought it would support my, uh, <laughs> my uh, drinking habits and so <laughs> forth. But uh, no, it, it as as bad my well even I I can't even drink my own wine that I made so (laughs) so there we go so um and then sort of so moving on from that I worked at the university for 20 odd years in agriculture
0: this is Um, UWA
1: this is UWA and enjoyed very much enjoyed uh, my time at UWA in agriculture where I worked in teaching labs so I worked a lot with the students it was great to have that Interaction with students, and it's—I think even nowadays you could say that working with young people is fabulous. It, again, it keeps you young and it keeps you thinking uh, young uh, as well. So, very much enjoyed working with students and in their research projects uh, and and in the labs. But. I think my claim to fame, and you've mentioned my TEDx talks, and and I justine and, and travels around the world, is that
0: and it is wine related. It obviously, it is wine
1: related. Uh, I suppose I could claim to be the first person in the world to make a dress from red wine, beer, champagne, <laughs> actually any alcohol you want. Don't, don't. So and you know it certainly got us quite a lot of, uh, of publicity and it stems back to me working in a in a winery down in the southwest down in pemberton and um i made a mistake yep i i got it wrong it's not the first time i've got it wrong and it's not the probably going to be the last time where i contaminated a vat of wine with a, a bacteria uh, many people would know this, this non-hazardous bacteria it's one of the good guys It's, uh, most people will use it to make kombucha tea. Uh, It's uh, what they call the scoby in the kombucha tea. It's also known as the mother of vinegar. And if you contaminate a vat of wine with this bacteria, which I did, you turn the vat of wine into vinegar.
0: Is that the stuff you get in the you know the the organic section mm. of coals these days? Mm. You get the vinegar with the mother? Is this is this the mother we're talking it, about? It is the
1: mother, actually, yeah. It's it's called the mother of vinegar originally from oh, many hundreds of years ago, where it was the protector of the wine or the vinegar. Because of course a lot of people used to store their meats and their food in, in vinegar. It was a great preservative. It was the one they could, could turn their wine into vinegar, store everything in there. Um, when our diets used to consist of a lot more sour things than, than it is now. So so that mother was to a mother to protect that, that vinegar. And the mother is a slimy, sludgy material that again, many people throw out because they just think that it's this slimy material. It's what I did in the winery many, many years ago when I contaminated the vat. <laughs> <laughs> I kept my job for a while. <laughs> um, but, you know, it took me ages to work out because I, I remember pulling this sludgy, slimy stuff. And most people, if you've, if you've had kombucha, you would know it. It really is quite horrible and, and, and quite smelly as well because it certainly has that vinegar. Morning after the night before <laughs> um, sort of smell. And I remember sort of throwing it out and not thinking a lot more about it until many years later, until I sort of came back and I thought, well, what was it made from? Uh, When I found that it was made from a bacteria, that it was a cellulose product, which is uh, just like cotton fibres, it didn't take long to realise if it's cotton fibres, you can make a garment, dress, whatever you want from it, frock. Uh, And that's what we did. Uh, So myself... And a lady by the name of Donna Franklin, who's a fashion designer here in Perth, we put together the wine dresses. And if you look up the dresses made from red wine or what we used to call fermented fashion, uh, you'll see quite a lot uh, of our images from the early yeah, yeah. days.
0: Yeah, oh, I've seen the seen the said dress, or dresses. You obviously had made a few of them over, over, over the last few years. Oh.
1: We did, we did. Uh, I think we, we tried to make, we were invited to quite a few shows from around the world. Um, gosh, from Ireland right through Europe, Asia, America, Australia,
0: and who were the people interested? Was this from mm. a fashion perspective, or was it from a from a science sort of yeah, perspective? True, what, true. Who, who sort of got the got the bug with the with the dresses? Uh, great, uh,
1: yes, it was certainly an artistic endeavor initially. Uh, I think I, you know, if I I don't want to be rude about the scientific community <laughs> because I am uh, crazy. Well, si- you're my <laughs> talking crazy scientist friend, <laughs> Gary. They <laughs> sort of humoured me for quite a while. Oh, look, he's just making dresses in the lab and so forth. Let him go. And So <laughs> so the art world really picked it up. The, and I suppose the... F- yeah, maybe the fashion bit a bit. But it was really the arts, the galleries around the world the that wanted to show this as an art piece. Because what they really wanted to do was start a dialogue, was to start a conversation about the future of fashion. We all know... Um, how bad cotton is for our environment from the the murray darling and how much water we're using to how much land has been used also to the polyester nylons and the non-biodegradability of them and these microfibers are now ending up in our our food sources and so forth so people wanted to see this natural very alternative uh different way of creating new garments, new dresses and so forth. So, you know, it started that. If 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 that's all the wine dresses did was to start people thinking about alternatives for fashion, then it was a very successful art project because it did very, very well. Uh, lots and lots of media about it. Now, as it stood back then when we first did it, there was no way it was ever going to be commercial. Um, and the, it had many flaws. It, 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 One, it smelt, and it smelt really bad. And we deliberately, look, we we could have used detergents and we could have uh, used quite a few of these cleaning products to get rid of that smell, but we decided not to. And we did it's, that.
0: It's another sense, is oh, smell? A,
1: because we wanted people to come into the galleries, smell the dress, <laughs> and then sort of question what they were willing to put up with, mm. If it was environmentally friendlier to to the world, you know, and I, I, I talk to people and discuss this with many people for many, many years, is that people seem to want to save the planet and do the right thing by the environment, but I'm not sure how much they're willing to put up with. You know, are they willing to... Or to actually do.
0: Like, well, yeah, when it comes down to it, a lot yeah. of it is just chat, isn't it? That's Absolutely. A lot
1: of it is. They're talking the talk rather than walk the walk. Are they willing to wear smelly... Uh, dresses and, 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 and uh, uh, d- d- you know, stained and ripped and well, actually probably are nowadays, aren't
0: they? <laughs> <laughs> I think Lady Gaga started that one off, didn't she, with the, with the meat dress?
1: I thought it would have been a good compliment for her uh, meat dress that could have had a, her cocktail wine dress for after the, the, the show. <laughs> but, you know, so, so really, again, it, it was very much that. It did start these conversations, people thinking you know, and the the obvious um, retort to that is, would I be willing to put up with it? And you know, probably would have to be honest and say not. Yeah. So, so, so we knew that we knew it needed to do something different. So, even so, it started the wine dresses was great, and it really uh, started us down that sort of direction. I sort of knew then it needed to move back into the sciences, that it needed to come for us to fix this smelly problem, uh, for us to fix the the issue that if it wasn't wet, if it, your dress dried out, the wine dress is dried out on the model, it just kind of cracked and fell off them. Which, you know, some people get a little upset if you're walking down the street and the dress sort of cracks and falls off you. I don't know, there's some embarrassment thing going on there. <laughs> I don't know. So, I knew that we would have to sort of move into the sciences and to fix these problems and 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 that that's what I did
0: yeah and about, i mean even from a, i mean if you're going to take on an industry like the cotton industry, I suspect there's a an element of the amount you can produce as well um and obviously, for what you were doing, it was done in small batches and when did you first start thinking about how it would how it would be possible to to actually compete even compete with something like, like cotton from a production perspective. Was it even possible?
1: So the way I've approached that, and I still approach that uh, even today with my new uh, projects is that I'd never seen it as sort of a replacement for cotton or polyesters and so forth. It was always going to be an alternative. It was sure. always going okay. to be a, let's take some of the, inv- let's all work together rather than trying to compete and you know fight against each other, why don't we try and work together take some of the environmental pressures off of the cotton and polyesters and plastic world and 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 you know even the smallest um, uh, more environmentally friendly projects may help this environment yeah, so, yeah. so it's a matter of all working yeah. together and I think that's very very important
0: Well we were chatting earlier today a couple hours ago about that exact thing that these industries, as you said, the competition is not going to help anybody, but yeah. they have to be looking into the future. And I mean, obviously, in the, in the last few yeah. months, we've seen a big change in, in in the world, how we've been working. And, yeah. you know, that sort of these sort of changes really help perpetuate big changes throughout industry. Right. We've seen with oil prices going down. And yeah. I mean, if if companies like BP, Woodside, all these big sort of oil and gas companies aren't thinking, um, like how how they're going to react to the renewable energies down the track. If they're not thinking about that sort of stuff, it's not going to work. Um, they're they're just going to they'll be like a Kodak and, and disappear into the background.
1: I think these companies certainly have to look at it from a they can't afford not to be
0: involved, yep. and yep. that's
1: really important. So I think again, little startups like ours, the wine dresses and many of these other little alternatives, big companies, big industries need to start to support these guys. Yep. And, and bring them up along with them. And I say that because, again, we can't just say, all right, we're going to stop all production of polyesters and nylons. That's 70% of the wearable <laughs> yep. world. You, you you can't. It's you, impossible. You, yeah. Absolutely. So we need to wean off of that. Um, and it will be these alternatives that will allow. And these big companies can almost bring them on board and become these new alternatives themselves. So,
0: yeah, it could be something that you, that they see is that they're just playing with just now. Absolute. They're just bringing it on, getting yeah. research grants. I'm getting a bit of media publicity for sustainable products, mm-hmm. but you know, it just takes one to to kind of swing and yeah. um, off and running. But yeah. cast materials, then, which is your okay. your new entity. Yeah, um, wh- wh- where was that born from?
1: All right, so going back to the wine dresses, and and again, that became the beer dress, and. And the actual beer dress itself went to the World Expo um, hmm. in Milan in 2015, which I, I kind of loved also, and we promoted it very much as a... It was, I think, pretty much 75 years exactly from when Nylon was introduced at the New York Fair, I think it was uh, the World Fair in New York, I believe. Yep. You know, so, hmm. so when you think about Nylon, it's only been around for 75 years. You know, It just seems like it's been around forever. And, and I also the other story that I'd heard was that um, that when nylon was first introduced, all you could do was make um, brooms and, and toothbrushes and so forth, because the fibers were so thick. And of course now, you've seen what with technology <laughs> and improvements, what we're able to do with these fibers. But it encouraged us from our wine dress that was smelly, uh, it fell apart, uh, it wasn't flexible at all and so forth. It encouraged us the fact that we took that on board and thought, right, this is probably where nylon was 75 years ago, so let's now think about how we can improve this. The these fibres, this new fibre. Um, and like I've mentioned, is that I knew I needed to then involve the sciences. So what I did was that I hooked up with a couple of chemists here in Perth um, and a, a couple of business people and so forth in the corporate world, and of course, we all need a lawyer um, <laughs> and, and formed a, a new company called Nanolos, uh, initially a private company. And then uh, it was funded uh, or it, it sort of uh, uh, got funding to then put an IPO and become public listed and still is, is, is a public listed company on the ASX and doing very well. And what Nanolose did with myself uh, being one of the founding directors and inventor of the technology, we found ways of now converting that wine dress into a fibre that was then being able to be woven. Once we have that ability to have a fibre that's woven, then, you know, you can basically uh, uh, weave or knit
0: any sort of garment that you want. And you worked out the smell as well, obviously. They're, they're part <laughs> of converting the wine
1: dress material into into a, a, a weavable fibre was um, remove the smells. Now, that brings along another interesting point, was that the chemicals that we used to convert the wine dress material, into this new uh, fabulous, what we would call, or what Nanolos calls, a tree-free or plant-free rayon, does use some pretty nasty chemicals. So, you know, you have to weigh up the idea of, yes, it's more environmentally friendly with less water and use of less land, but it's still using some nasty chemicals. So, you know... You have to compromise, I think, initially, and it's small steps. No, it's you know to get to this giant solution, you need to still take these small little steps, and eventually, what you'll find is that we could replace all of the nasty chemicals, all of the the environmentally detrimental um, activities that goes on to produce this new uh, rayon um, and new fibres, that would will benefit us all.
0: Yep. And so your new venture is obviously down a, a, a very different path. Um, can you explain a bit about what, what you're doing?
1: Yeah, so what I've done now is that after a few years with so I've I've left so I've left um, some very incredibly talented, um, great people uh, in charge there, and they've got a, a direction that they want to take the company with, and that's absolutely sensational. But I decided um, that I kind of looked at things a, a little differently and wanted to to move on with some of my uh, new goals, I suppose. So I left Nanlose, uh in their capable hands and now have formed my own company called uh, Cass Materials for a narcissistic and egotistical... <laughs> Mate, go <laughs>
0: for it. Go for it. It rolls off the tongue nicely as well, <laughs> Cass, Cass Materials. It's
1: probably... it's uh, Exactly. Uh, it's probably closer to that. I just couldn't come up with anything else. <laughs> so it's just easy. So Cass Materials was uh, founded this year you know, earlier this year, and it now uses the wine dress material. So I've gone right back to the material that we were producing way back as an artistic endeavor. So we use the wine dress material and convert that uh, into a a cell culture scaffold. Now, let me... Um, that
0: sounds very scientific, Yeah, yeah absolutely.
1: Let me go back <laughs> home on that a little bit more. So, so what we do is that the wine dress material was made from these bacteria, this kombucha, mother of vinegar bacteria, uh, and it produces nanocellulose fibres. Now, after a lot of research, we knew that these fibres were very similar physical properties to collagen and for those who get their lips done and everything else that we use collagen for, is that collagens are structural protein. We are what we are, well, Again, we've got our skeletal system and so forth, but we need these collagen fibres to hold our cells together and to, to grow. This mother of vinegar or this wine dress material, this fibre is physically very similar to collagen. And what we found out is that you can actually grow cells on this uh, wine dress material. So what that led us into thinking was that if we can grow cells on it, and we already have grown skin cells, liver cells, uh, ear drum cells, in that, and the latest one that we've just been able to achieve is muscle cells. Now, if we can grow muscle cells on it, then we can grow a lab grown burger. So I'm now working and have uh, 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 created what I'm calling a BNC flocks or BNC scaffold, BNC short for bacterial nanocellulose, which doesn't roll off the tongue as much as BNC. Uh, so the BNC scaffolds we are now producing that will produce or, or be, be uh, uh, sent to these cultivated meat companies or lab-grown uh, meat companies around the world for them to use to grow up these new... Burgers, chicken nuggets, uh, shrimp dumplings, and so forth.
0: So, a growing industry. As I said, we we're talking before about the the various companies around the world that are kind of leading the way in this in this space. Who are the Who are the sort of big players just now in this yeah. sustainable meat market?
1: So, um, before I get to that, if I can just go back to let's just say. Uh, where it sort of all began, I suppose. Now, if people do look it up, they're probably going to look up uh, lab-grown burgers and so forth, and they'll come across in two thousand and thirteen a Dutch uh, professor called Mark Post, and he's uh, claimed now, and it's there's a BBC show, BBC show obviously in Britain. That they actually grow, they produce a burger and cook it and eat it on on the show, and it's quite a a good watch, and it's a nice watch to see uh, and uh, to see how people react when they eat the burger for the Hmm. first time. But what I want to kind of maybe uh, inform people is that even so, that that will be the claim to fame. I'm sure, and history will tell you that that. 2013, it was actually a couple here from Perth that created the first uh, cultured meat product and ate it, and they were the name of Oron Katz and Yonat Zer from uh, Symbiotica at the University of West Australia, where in 2004, 2002, I think it was written about them, they went to France and exhibited in an art gallery where they grew up a frog steak. So they took instead of, and what they really were trying to do from an artistic endeavor, again, it's this whole trying to create a discussion and, and people thinking about the alternative and future of food is that they took a biopsy of a frog. So the animal itself doesn't have to die. They took a biopsy of the frog, grew up the cells in the form of a, of a burger or a steak, and then ate it. It, it. And that was part of the exhibition. It was part of the performance. And that was done, you know, 10 years, Prior to the this original burger, but anyway, we'll move on. So I think you know Perth has got that claim to fame. Amazing. Like, so I like amazing. the
0: connection back to creativity again. Absolutely. Though. Like I mean, the artistic endeavour created the 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 ideas to 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 then harness something that potentially could yeah could change the face of of meat agriculture around the world. So the the sort of symbiosis of creativity, yeah. art, technology, science coming together is is the is the power
1: absolutely no doubt about that at all what was that old uh, very simple definition of differences between the arts and sciences. is that the arts kind of make this stuff up and the sciences try to make sense of it and make it you know it's that old where people would you know it's a whole story of wives tales or actually probably more than that um you know artists and we're, we're talking about landing rockets on the moon and going into space far before the scientists and that made it happen. <laughs> Galileo,
0: so, all these guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so somebody has da to Vinci come up and, with the yeah, crazy yeah. stuff you know, yeah, before
1: yeah. Um, uh, the scientists kind of make it possible or, or try and um, at least make some sort of reasoning of it. Um, so anyway, yes, you're right. So there is certainly, and I think that's very important, and I use this catchphrase a lot, don't I, where it's, it's creativity is as important as literacy and numeracy and we, we need to push creativity. We need these younger people of today, rather than getting them to just memorize books and mathematical formulas and so forth, um, we need them to use their imagination. I go into many schools and, and give discussions about that, and I, I actually ask whether it would be possible to have maybe one session a week, just called uh, the daydreaming session, where the students just sit around and bean bags and look at clouds or trees and <laughs> you know and, and just just coming
0: up with crazy ideas like, ab- yeah,
1: absolutely and you find that most of these big companies like 3M uh, Google and stuff allow that to happen they allow people a certain amount of their time during the day or during the week where you just play around yep. and they do that and a lot of companies will say well why would you want to why you want to work them and so forth no these companies realise that if you come up with the new Pokemon Go or the new Technology it belongs to them. You need to allow people to to think new stuff up, and 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 I think that's you know
0: crucial. I think even the last um, few weeks with the COVID um, pandemic, that's obviously (laughs) taking taking over the world globally, and people in lockdown, and people being sort of pushed out of their normal routine. Could, there could be down the track some highly creative or, or different ideas coming out from it. Obviously, there's a lot of um, pain and mm. suffering as well. But um, I think from a creativity space, as soon as you can shift your mindset into a different space, and this is obviously forced, mm. forced this on everybody, there, you never know what could be coming out of this. I think uh, Isaac Newton, I think, was in lockdown with the plague at this stage. He, was put, okay. he went out into the country to a farmhouse and stayed there for, I, I don't know mm. the exact story. I haven't met him. Um, and came up with theory yeah, a bit of gravity before your time. Wasn't it? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Came up with the, the, his theory of of uh, gravity. That's where you know that because he was alone, isolated, the the mind works differently. So I mean, obviously he had a fairly special mind, yeah. um, but I suspect you've got a, a fairly special mind well, as well, Gary.
1: Look, I think I think we all are born with that. Uh, but we're probably educated out of it, aren't we? Educated uh, out of it, I like that. And or and I don't uh, like that, actually. <laughs> what I mean by that is that if you test a, a child's creativity powers, it's extraordinary. But the older we get, the less creative we seem to get. And, and it, some people do say that it's because of our education system, but let's not get into that. <laughs> <maybe. There's laughs> a a, rabbit hole. Another, that's another one for another <laughs> few beers but, and yeah. another babble. But... Um, And why I wanna go with this COVID and this isolation, and it's a perfect example, and you're absolutely right. I reckon now the innovation that we will see coming out of this isolation is extraordinary. If you, you need to find ways to do it, you need to find ways to make it happen. And I think that's why you might find that Australian innovation and ingenuity is some of the best in the world. And there's been reports written about this. I've been part of a report a few years ago, and it was trying to figure out why. And one of the main reasons that come out was because we're so isolated. We're so far away from the world that we need to do things ourselves. We can't just hop across the border into another country and collaborate with other people and the unions and so forth. Is that we're it. We're down the bottom here. We've got to do things and make it happen. And I, I think that's really quite important. And I think it's also, it also comes down to the whole stories that we hear, that everything kind of comes out of the inventors, the the back sheds of the, the Australian... Back sheds are, are, you know, amazing places of innovation (laughs) and invention through necessity as well, and probably my my background in agriculture and farming has also illustrated that. It is quite incredible what a farmer or what we'd like to call them cockies here can do with a piece of wire. That's all you've got. You've got a piece of wire or um, a a cigarette packet uh, with a silver you know paper in it and what you can actually achieve with that what you can fix with that is incredible because you can't just go into town or down to the nearest hardware store and buy something you've got to do it yourself you
0: know think it. like macgyver
1: knife. <laughs> <The Swiss Army laughs> <outfit. Yeah. laughs> so so yes yeah, so so i think you know you know that's certainly creativity and and all the rest of it is quite important and and i think where we were going with that was that yes it, you know the real history will should show that Oron and Yonat were the creative people here from Perth that made these frog steaks that sort of started this cultured meat, cultivated meat uh, revolution. Now, the biggest players in the world at the moment, you will find, are predominantly coming out of the US and Europe. And you'll find that the biggest company I'd say probably at the moment just because of the amount of money that they've raised is a company called Memphis Meats where they've produced uh, chicken meatballs and I believe they're chicken meatballs and chicken nuggets. So they've come out of California. Another one in California is Blue Nalu which are the cultivated fish people and in Europe you've got your Mosa Meats which was founded by Mark Post. Um, and I think there's Meatables. Israel's got quite a few, where they've got Allah Farms um, coming out of there. And uh, Singapore. And what has got shock, they're doing the shrimp dumplings.
0: This is Singapore. Based. In
1: Singapore, yep. And now here in Australia, and you probably, we've got two companies that are really focusing on it, is that we've got Herios, that's in Brisbane. I think he's now predominantly looking at media at a serum-free media, okay. uh, and we can talk about the complexities of, of of the media and the the protocols and procedures that they use. And valve foods now valve foods is probably the only one I know of here in Australia that are actually creating cultured meat that can be eaten. Um, cool. And they've got a lot of money just recently to scale up.
0: And what is it they're trying to solve? I mean, what, what is the what is the mission of these companies? So I mean, obviously they they may differ, but what is there an overall kind of focus that mm. they're that they're trying to trying to harness or trying to create?
1: Look, it probably is very similar to why we put the wine dresses together originally, in that we were looking for alternative um, fashion textiles that would potentially be more environmentally friendly yep and i think it really always comes well not always but comes down to that is that even the cultivated meat industry now the lab-grown beef or the lab-grown meat is looking for environmentally friendlier ways of creating a protein source for our populations if our population is to reach something like 10 i can't remember now what uh, by 2050 what are they saying it's 10 billion or something how are we going to to feed that some people I think i wrote wrote i read a report the other day that our food production needs to increase by 70 percent to feed that's that size that increasing world population so we need to come up with new ways of doing that now if we continue down the road of um, producing that like our traditional farming has been doing for ten thousand years, we're starting to run out of land, and we're starting to run out of fresh water. The same things that we talked about from the fashion textile point of view is happening with um, with the agricultural meat production as well. <laughs>
0: Hey guys, just a quick interlude to give you some statistics on the environmental impact of livestock farming. We thought it'd be good to add this little bit of info into the podcast so you've got a bit of a perspective on the, the global impact. So, number one, 14% of global greenhouse gas emissions come from livestock farming. And by contrast, global transportation accounts for 13%. of the Earth's surface is used for livestock farming, and this represents 70% of all agricultural land. Livestock farming is a top contributor to deforestation, land degradation and water pollution. 28% of humanity's freshwater footprint is used for the production of animal products. And did you know 15,000 litres of water per one kilogram of beef produced? So we use 15,000 litres of water for every one kilogram of beef produced. So that's just to give you a bit of context on the statistics behind the conversation we're currently having. Let's get back to it.
1: So to stop that clearing or huge clearing of lands to, to, to grow uh, farm animals and and the use of water. What did someone say the other day? That we export, uh, look, most if not all of our wool is exported overseas, it's grown here, and, and what we um, should be saying is that we're just exporting water because of the amount of water that we have to put into to produce that wool. We might as well just send the water over there. And that's quite hard to take from the dry, one of the driest continents in the world. We should be preserving our water. It's so, not
0: something you think about either, is it, the water side of it? And cotton was the same, wasn't con- it? The amount of water used to, like, yep. to create a good old pair of jeans yep. um, is s- ridiculous.
1: 10,000 litres of water, I think it was, for one pair of jeans. That's and half I, a swimming pool. <laughs> and and I, I think they're actually saying it's very similar with wool. Um, and I do have the figures, um, but don't have them at the moment because we're just babbling on what it is worth for the cultivated meat industry as well. But it's certainly up there. They're certainly using a, a bucket load of water and a bucket load of land to produce meat and these pr- protein sources. And n- not to say what we're doing to our oceans by by fishing and so forth and some of the techniques that we have now uh, to fish. We're, we're really... Um, um, pushing it too far, I think. Uh, but, so, going back to the cultivator, meat. I mean, what, what I suppose this industry is trying to do, and yes, it certainly is an emerging industry, it's only been going for the last few, say, four or five years, I suppose, but also the fact that 90% of the cultured meat companies are now existing today, started in 2019, or in hmm. the last year, so huge growth. Uh, it certainly is getting more accepted I know when I spoke about this a couple of years ago there was still that yuck factor and probably still is a yuck factor but I think it's certainly getting better Uh, and you know some of the techniques that they use for this just even things like vertical farming if we can and and that's the buzzword of course it's been around for a while now is vertical farming is how can we rather than growing multi-storeys or building multi-storey buildings uh, to, to house offices or people, why don't we farm in these multi-storey uh, buildings? It makes sense, it's less of a footprint on the environment, but you know, how do we do that? And I think cultivated meat, where you can feed a, it's like almost a hydroponic, isn't it? Where you, you feed in the media to the cells, whatever it needs. I've you never
0: heard of hydroponics, by the way. Uh,
1: never? <laughs> So, but, you know, we don't need that sunlight as much. We don't need the grass, or yep. you know. So, And one of the major issues with any type of vertical farming is how do you get the sunlight into it? If you don't need that sunlight, then it, it solves one of the problems.
0: Could you, I take it, you could go underground as well. Could you go vertically below the ground and into...
1: It's a great uh, suggestion. There we go. We're solving They're, the world exactly. already on a fr- after creativity. A, couple of, a couple of years. Uh, even better idea, Michael. And the reason that I like that idea, uh, never given a lot of thought, but I like it.
0: And trademark. Thank there you, you go. <laughs> I'm sure nobody's ever thought of that before ever.
1: No, the, uh, the reason I like it is it because you can control the temperature more. Uh, of course. So uh, hence why we put sellers and so forth down. Oh, see the
0: connection to wine see? already. Yeah, it's
1: all <laughs> that goes through my mind. Is it you can you can control that temperature more because you've got that thermal mass of the, the earth or ground around you? So, where if you do go vertically up, then you have less control of the atmospheric uh, conditions. So, yeah, there we go.
0: And oh. we've all seen the, the last, I don't know when, uh, I'll say their names, McDonald's and Hungry Jacks came out with their um, versions of, I mean, they are using a very different type of. Substitute meat, I take it, from yeah. what you're thinking about, because they're plant-based. Yeah. So uh,
1: they are. So Hungry Jacks have come out, or around the world, of course, it's called uh, Burger King, has come out with the Rebel Burger, and that is 100% plant-based. Okay. So I think it's certainly vegetarian. I'm, is it vegan? I'm not sure. Mm, but anyway. Um, but does that,
0: from an environmental impact, does that have as much of an environmental mm, impact mm, as, mm, as as cattle? I mean. Well, is,
1: I I haven't seen the stats on it, but, you know, if you just think about it, they still have to grow Mm. uh, whatever crop they're going to use for their plant-based. So they're still using horizontal farming techniques. They would still need the sunlight and the water to – so, yeah, 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 Mm. it could potentially – I don't know if anybody's done the environmental uh, and feasibility studies on that, but, uh, yeah, there would certainly be quite a bit of uh, impact
0: yeah, because I mean, I suppose is. for them, they're looking at alternatives from a marketing perspective to to sell. Yeah. From I mean, obviously, is a big push for vegetarianism and veg yeah. and veganism. If that's even a word, if yeah. you add an ism on the end of that, um, why not? Why don't we just stop eating meat, Gary? <laughs> well, I think
1: look, we have to realize. I I think you know, and I I know a lot of people say that we we don't need to, uh, but as a natural omnivore mm. and the way our biochemistry, my thoughts on that is very much that we are designed to eat meat
0: okay and that's, so, that's a big argument there isn't it between yeah the, just what what again,
1: because I'm sure we'll get some comments oh no, on definitely but, i mean but i think the other thing is is that i think we eat too much meat yeah, now that's yeah. that's a different statement altogether you know yes we're designed to eat meat um but probably shouldn't eat as much as we actually do um yeah, so there's a balance. It's everything in moderation as well. You know, beer in moderation, meat in mo- burgers in moderation. Did you say
0: beer in moderation, Gary? <laughs> 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 Sorry. So, I mean, yeah. when you're talking timelines then with this, I mean, you obviously can see what's happening in the industry. You're, quite, you're very close to the industry and what's going on, and, and you're entering into the, the industry Ten years, fifteen years, oh, no, 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 two no, no. years. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: I think Val Food is claiming now that they want uh, an edible product by twenty twenty one. That's amazing. That's next year. Okay. So, and I think you'll find Mosa Meats as well. I've just seen that they're doing a lot of uh, uh, publicity at the moment and how that they want to get out by twenty twenty one. And I think it'll. It's almost like this uh, Impossible Burger or the, the the Rebel Burger from Hungry Jacks, is it, it all of a sudden it just appeared. You know, it was like, here it is. Yep. So I think it'll be very much like that. I think the industry is still grappling with a few things it has to overcome, but when they do that, it'll hit and hit pretty hard yep. and and very quickly. Yeah, and the consumer uh, uptake will be the interesting one. Now, there's a study, Mark Prost post from the from the netherlands he's just put out a report a journal where it now claims and he studied uh, quite a few people and they were willing to pay 40 percent more for a cultured meat burger than a normal burger okay because and it seems to me and it comes down to this whole and we hear it again and again this new generation these generations that are coming up now i um, are more environmentally conscious and. Maybe what we were when we were younger. I think so, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) We tried. We did try. (laughs) But,
1: yeah, so I think they will drive it. What are we up to? Generation Z or... or
0: I've lost track. Do we start at A again? (laughs) Do we?
1: Z, Z. So Um, so I think you'll find that they are now shopping, uh, thinking about the environment more. I think that's a good thing.
0: I think it's a very good thing. And one word you said before was trying to come up with an edible meat. And that is the big question, isn't it? The the comparison that it actually has to a fillet steak made from a, a free-range beef, a proper fillet steak compared to one made in the lab. That's going to be the, do you think, or is that a telling factor, do you think?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one as well, isn't it? Um, it yes, it will be. There's there's no doubt about it, and we we knew that when we did almost the wine dresses and and uh, the fibers out in nanolos is that unless it was very similar to what was in the market today, people just kind of won't accept it. Yep. Or some improvement, or you know we get we're very comfortable with what we have at the moment, so I think we we get used to that, and anything outside the norm it's, it just takes that little while for us to get used to that. The plant based burgers or the plant based meats or protein uh, sources are a little different because. They were plant-based, and people kind of thought, "Well, it tastes a little different, but it's not meat." The cultivated meat industry is m- is meat. meat. <laughs> it's it's. It's really a really hard s- one to get your head yes. kind of. Uh, I, I, you, I've now just heard it called slaughter-free meat. Uh-huh. I, I don't kind of like. I think the, the word "slaughter" the word straight slaughter.
0: away gives a.
1: It's yeah, yeah, but you can see what they're trying to say. Is I'd it, say death-free, to, death-free <laughs> meat. <laughs> is that the animal is not killed to source the cells, but when we're growing the cells in 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 a uh, reactor, uh, in a culture, so these cells can continue to grow and, and grow into this this uh, muscle fibre. I was going to say, uh, so
0: it starts off literally as a single cell as, or a little bit of.
1: Yeah, so if anybody's had a biopsy taken uh, in hospital, it'd be very similar to that. So we, like a little scraping uh, well, of well, yeah. a little. Chunk, I say, little little chunk. Yeah, a little kind of chunk taken out of the animal. It's then uh, put through a process where it's 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 broken down into individual cells, and then them individual cells are allowed then to um, grow and differentiate and and multiply. And And what's
0: the sort of timing like for for like a say a. 250-gram steak, Stake. how long will it take? To...
1: I, th- I think you'll find that the Aleph Farms and the Vow Foods of this world are probably hoping to get something like that out in three to four weeks. Wow, okay. You know, rather than three to four years, possibly. Well, I was going to say, because it has been
0: done, hasn't it? They have done it in the lab already. They've created steaks, but yeah. it's, it's going to be the, the time, the yeah. cost, obviously, yeah. that's going to be the telling factor. Yeah.
1: So, so going back to that whole taste thing, when the cultivated meat industry starts to put out this into the consumer, um, into the world, is that straight away, and we all do it, we are going to compare. Now, yes, people are going to want it, t- it taste like their favourite T-bone or ribeye and so forth, and it may not. But we need to understand that that's okay. You know, you're still getting your nutritional. Um, needs and factors that you would normally, why you would eat uh, your meat. So I think we need to be ready for that. The industry will certainly try and make it, and they they, they are already. So mm. the, the burger that was produced in 2013 and, and cooked up at the BBC, one of the things that they were missing was that sort of fat content, we, We're kind of that juiciness and that fat that it didn't have back then. We're now finding companies are specialising in growing just fat cells.
0: Hmm.
1: So, and then what they're going to try and do, of course, if not done already, where they'll combine the muscle cells with the fat cells. So all of a sudden you've got this muscle fibre and a fat in there as well. So nice
0: marbled, marbled <laughs> like steak. <a> good Wagyu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So, yes. Uh, so, you know, but again, it's it's that, that mouth mouthfeel and, and so forth. But
0: and there's th- so many intricacies, isn't there, in
1: but it's all just because that's what we're used to eating it's what we've been brought up with but we need to start thinking about things a little differently as well and i think that's probably the And biggest. i think
0: again the situation we're in just now is shown I mean obviously it's taken a, a pandemic to 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 try and like to stop everything happening for a little while and yeah. sort of think about what we're really what we're really doing yeah, yeah. um so what's the, the future then for Cast Materials? What's, what does the next year look like for you guys?
1: Okay, so Cast Materials at the moment is um, just optimising its scaffold and working with several of these companies um, around the world to make sure that it works in their system. Everybody has a little different uh, bioreactor or a little different media or process and so forth. So we have to spend the next few months making sure that it works then what we'll do, and we're very close to, to uh, negotiate this, and that we'll scale up with this. The other great thing about it, coming to cast materials is coming to this industry at a time where everybody's still very uh, collegial and, and helping each other. Okay, there's a friendly competition going on, always has to be, that's what will drive the industry. But if, you know, we all know that if we all kind of help each other and work together, we'll be a lot stronger and able to compete against what's available there at the moment. So so Cast Materials will do that, finalise uh, exactly what that company needs for their process, whether it be a mince, whether it be a steak, whether it be a nugget, we'll then scale it up. So we will um, uh, uh, get a place here in Perth, uh, some sort of warehouse, lab, kitchen. You know, mm. what's the difference between a lab and a kitchen? They're the same, aren't they? They've got hot things, sharp things. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Frantic-looking <yes>. people <laughs> running around with tea towels on their on their shoulder, <laughs>
1: um, and so um, and and so we'll have to get that scale up. Uh, again, plans are in place for that, and processes have certainly been worked out. Uh, supply that. So, hopefully, in a year, I would like to say in a year that you'll be eating, and maybe we'll have it here with a burger, Ooh. the first uh, cultivated burger. Uh, using the BNC or cast material scaffold here with a beer. Shall we mark it down in the, in Let's the calendar? Do it.
0: So what, what's the date today? The twenty <laughs> something. What is it today? End of, end, yeah, of end of May. End of May. End of May next year. Then we'll be back here for uh, if for not, more sorry. for more beer, burgers, babble, and bacteria. <laughs> but with um, a burger made in your kitchen or lab. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That's exciting.
1: Mm. It certainly is, uh, and I think also what we need to do as well, and I think the, the 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 pandemic has highlighted that as well, is that we certainly need to, as a country, um, industry, government, all need to support not just cast materials in these and uh, my endeavour, but a lot more of these innovative startups and so forth that are, have now come up with the 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 new products of this you know new what normal or new world that we're going into we all need to come together we all need to support each other
0: that's amazing mm. it's been great seeing your your journey over the last few years with with the various endeavors i've been involved with as well um thank you very much gary Thanks. thank you for for nice. coming in and sharing a beer and a and a babble and a burger Wonderful. Thank um, you, Michael.
1: It's been the best way to spend a Friday afternoon (laughs) is having a chat over a beer. Now
0: that lockdown is finally finished, we're able to... We do, we are about 1.5 (laughs) metres apart. Thank you. See ya.